0: Hi there, I'm Eric Wardweaver-Shervin, gothy of the Rydgar folk here in East Texas, and I would like to welcome you to The Raven's Call. This is a show where I ramble on about different heathen-related subjects. Just kind of whatever strikes my fancy sets my mind on fire at the time. Big UPG warning at the beginning of the show, this is uh, this is my take on heathenry. I am a modern heathen, I'm not what you would call a historical heathen or a hardcore recon. Um, I am also not a fluffy bunny, kind of neo-heathen kind of deal. Uh, uh, I, I'm somewhere in the middle. I uh, like to base in roots of tradition, but growth towards future. So, you guys know from now, by watching the channel up to this point, uh, I have a different kind of take on things, but uh, you folks seem to like to hear about it, so sure, why not? We'll keep talking about it. Just uh, understand that there are, I will mention historical aspects where I can, and kind of point you in a direction so you can do your own research on it if that's the the bench you want to go on, okay? so. And with that, we're gonna do a little housekeeping stuff. If you would, please hit subscribe down below, ding the bell, give a thumbs up to the videos. The more you interact with them, the more they show up in people's feeds. And so it helps the videos to get out there. So uh, you'll also find links to all of my stuff down below. You'll find the uh, WordWeaver Productions fan page down there. You will find my email address and stuff like that. PO Box, if you feel like uh, sending anything in, like artwork letters, things like that. And so I have gotten some fan mail. It's kind of cool. I love that. And if you guys send in something that uh, can be shown on the channel, I will show it on the channel. Because it's fun. I like to do that stuff. Audience participation is cool. So anyway, without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump into today's episode. This is the... this should be, if I'm not mistaken, the last episode of 2019. Uh, It's been a long year, Uh, it's been a rough year, and so I wanted to end on something a little bit more fun, guys. I wanted to kind of step back from some of the more serious subjects that I've done this year, uh, some of the more educational stuff, some of the more, you know, uh, mental health oriented things, um, and and just have something kind of fun. And so today I wanted to talk a little bit about the Viking Battle Prayer. Now this is something that has made the rounds. You're going to see it on t-shirts, you're going to see it on... Uh, placards and uh, all, all kinds of stuff and I happen to have one here that was gifted to me ages ago my mom actually gave this to me because she loves me and she's awesome I love my mother uh, I realize that the video is probably flipping this around because it's the front-facing camera and so it probably doesn't show up where you can read it but that's okay I'm gonna read it to you here in a minute uh, in case you haven't heard it but I guarantee you you've heard it before okay and for those not in the know this is not a historical thing all right this is something that's very much a modern creation it's not even a heathen creation but it's got some cool heathen elements to it and so i find that there's some some cool things that can be taken from it in the vein of modern heathenry where we're creating new heathen stuff in the modern era that's informed by and grown from classical heathen things Uh, this is kind of a cool example of some of the things we can do which is part of the reason i wanted to point it out because it's one that's fairly widespread i mean it's very simple to find you can find it anywhere it's printed on everything but it's a good example of things that we can do ourselves and this wasn't even done by a heathen to my knowledge Uh, i actually don't know who specifically came up with it Uh, but and and some people will try to counter me on it Give it a minute. Um, I don't know exactly who came up with it, uh, but I could probably find out by doing some extra research. I just haven't done that particular part of the research. Anyway, uh, this is things that we can do as heathens. We can create our own things that are catchy, that are are great like this. And I've seen some really cool stuff go around on the internet. Um, Unfortunately, some of it has been viked and not uh, given proper credit uh, (laughs) as far as to the author that originally wrote said poems and things like that, and uh, which is really sad, because these people put some really cool stuff out there, and they deserve their names on it. Uh, it definitely needs to be passed around, people need to see it, it needs to get in front of as many eyes as possible, but their names deserve to be attached to it. So if you find yourself in a situation where you're sharing a really cool heathen saying and everything, make sure you take the extra effort to tag the author on it, because they deserve that renown. Uh, they wrote a really cool thing. It was cool enough that you wanted to share it. So they deserve a little kudos for it you know especially since that's something they might be remembered for especially if it's something really really cool okay so the Viking battle prayer this one I'm gonna gonna read it out for you real quick and then we'll go into a little bit about what it is and where it comes from okay actually I don't even need to read it I memorized because it's just memorable this is the one that goes lo there do I see my father lo there do I see my mother my sisters and my brothers, lo, there do I see the line of my people back to the beginning. Lo, they do call to me and ask me to take my place among them in the halls of Valhalla, where the brave may live forever. Yes I looked at the thing, I know I have it memorized, but I second-guessed myself You know how that goes. That's a really cool poem, isn't it? You know, it's, it's something and I'm sure by now you're like, Oh yeah, I know that. I've heard that before. Isn't that from a movie? Oh, there it is. Uh, this was originally in The Thirteenth Warrior, which if you're not familiar with The Thirteenth Warrior, I don't think I've done a review for it yet on the channel. When I get back to doing my reviews, if I get back to doing my reviews, depends on how this Kappa stuff shakes out. Um, I intend to kind of cover a little bit of that. But uh, in gist, The Thirteenth Warrior is the theatrical representation of Michael Crichton's book, The Eaters of the Dead, which is largely based on the story of Beowulf, coupled with the writings of Ibn Fadlan. It follows a Viking crew, the Rus, uh, which is a, a Viking... A nordic group that is traveling into what would become russia later on and uh, they get sucked up into a very beowulf-esque uh, story wherein they are there there's a, a hall that's being terrorized by these uh, the fireworm is what they refer to it as there's more to it i'm not going to get into the whole thing because i want you to watch it if you haven't watched it if you have watched it you already know okay uh, if you've read the book you will find that the book actually gives more detail on the monster in question And uh, does some really cool kind of fleshing out of Michael Crichton's idea behind that. I love Michael Crichton's writings. I think he's a great author and has done some really cool stuff. Is he the best author in the world? No, but I do very much enjoy his stuff. And so, like I said before, we don't really know, I don't specifically know who wrote this. I'm sure that I can go through in the trivia and stuff and find out, uh, but I haven't yet, and that's on me. So, sorry about that, guys. But it's not something you can attribute to Michael Crichton himself because I went through and I read the book a couple times and uh, it does not, this is not prevalent in the book, this is not in the book, this was made up for the movie and it's really, really catchy, it's really, really cool and it's easy to throw around on the stuff. on a surface level, you would look at this and be like, "Well, let's i all get out." It's like, "Oh, I'm a Viking. Blah I, I want to die in battle and go to Valhalla, etc., etc., etc." And you would not be wrong because the the prevalent focus on it being the Viking battle prayer, uh, being referred to as the Viking battle prayer to begin with. Um, plus, and it's not actually attested to be called that in the movie. They just say it, and uh, it's even done as a translation. Uh, because uh, Antonio Banderas's character uh, Ibn Tadlan, as he is watching the traditions go on here, it's a uh, burial for a chieftain, and uh, they go through and this angel of death. This is actually something that is pulled from attestations of historical uh, writings. The angel of death, this uh, individual uh, who is going over things, is is saying a prayer and everything over this uh, slave girl who has been chosen to go with the chieftain and to serve him in the afterlife now historically speaking this slave would have been passed around amongst some of his uh, vassals and uh, lain with them before being placed in with him uh, It's one version of some of the stuff that i've read on it uh, but essentially she's treated in a position of high respect and high honor because she is the designated individual to accompany this chieftain into the afterlife and to be with him and then in the end she is sacrificed and placed on the uh, ship with him and burned at least in in the the book and in the movies that's how it goes down now the burning of the ships and everything that's not the whole viking burial aspect uh, does not necessarily hold up to the test of time (laughs) you go back and look and actually most uh royal burials were ship burials but they weren't burned at sea at least not the ones we have record of or any kind of attestation to Uh, the reason for this being is because if they were there wouldn't be anything really left for us to find and to back all of this up the you whole know, destruction of the ship and everything would make it difficult to kind of track that so we'd have to look at you know literary references and things like that and there's not a whole lot to that I don't, I don't think I know of any actually most of the ship burials were actually ships buried on land uh, where they would bury the ship and they would build this kind of how um, hill hillock on top of it and uh, this they would build a room on the ship and they would bring the chieftain's body into the sh- into this room on the ship and then mound up over it. Uh, and ironically, interestingly, um, they would go in through a sidewall in this little building and then they would wall that up. Even though it's got a door in the front of it, they would not take the body in through the door. Uh, the idea behind this being that if the body rose as a Draugr or a restless spirit that it would be disoriented and try to go out the way that it came in, and it can't because that's been walled up. So just kind of an interesting thing. Um, <clears throat> but that's There's a lot of ship burials that we have been able to unearth and find all kinds of grave goods with and they've been very, very valuable to us as far as giving insights into culture and tradition. Um, For those that are interested in it, that want to read a little bit more about uh, ship burials or just generally uh, old-school heathen burials from an academic point of view, H.R. Ellis Davidson. Uh, I think she was just under H.R. Ellis, it's Hilda Hilda Roderick Davis, Ellis Davidson. Hildra Roderick, Ellis Davidson. Um, I think she was just under Ellis at the time. Did a wonderful book called The Road to Hell. And uh, I love this as a reference piece because it gives a wonderful look into archeological digs and exploration of burial traditions. And it, it tracks through the period of inhumation uh, where bodies were buried. Uh, I, interestingly enough, they weren't buried laid out in caskets like uh, modern sensibilities have us do. Uh, rather they were buried kind of in a crouching position in a deep hole and uh, that was that's how they were buried before. And then of course there was the immolation period where the bodies were burned and frequently the burned remains were then interred in a grave, and uh, grave goods were put with, etc, etc, etc. And she does a really good look at all of that from the archaeological standpoints, and then she also goes into some of the more literary explorations, and a lot of the imagery around um, the afterlife, and the look at things like Helheim, and uh, the, the road to Helheim, and some of the kind of tropes and mythological bases around that as well as attestations in uh, some of the sagas and things like that pertaining to uh, funerary rites and burial stuff. Now, I've mentioned all of this back in my funerary rites video, but that's been a while back. I had 110, 111, whatever we're at. uh, I think 111 is what this is. Episodes uh, <laughs> you, you'd be forgiven to not have seen every single one of them So I'm letting you know I did do a video back in the day on funerary rites And you can kind of go back and look at some of that and uh, and see some of that So I keep playing with this thing. I'm gonna set it down, but The deal with this is that the Viking battle prayer though not historically accurate uh, not not pulled from any kind of historical basis is an interesting thing because it's a modern creation but some of the sensibilities behind it are heathen some of the uh some of the sensibilities behind it are very much in keeping with heathen worldview. because if you think about it this is someone you know in the act the way that it's portrayed in the literary sources and then recreated in the movie is that this slave when she is being put out to the in the in the ritual before she's sacrificed to be put out on the boat and then it to be subsequently burned uh, The men are lifting her up sequen- sequentially and she's looking out over the horizon and uh, that's each time they lift her up It's low there. Do I see my father? Low there. Do I see my mother? My sisters and my brothers though. low. there do I see the line of my people back to the beginning and If you take all of this all of this and you substitute the word Valhalla for the mound. suddenly it takes on a different light because what we're looking at is, she's looking beyond the veil. She's looking into the afterlife. She's seeing on the other side, her family. Specifically, she's seeing the line of her people, her specific bloodline. She's seeing mother, father, siblings, her family line on back. And she's joining them. They're beckoning her to the other side of the mound to come into the mound and join them in feast. So if you take away the Valhalla imagery, which would have been very specific for warrior cult, um, and not appropriate necessarily within the context of this. Because you know, when you make the movie and everything and you're playing on Viking tropes. Uh, Valhalla as the heathen paradise kind of thing, uh, very gross, a true kind of uh, mentality. Uh, you end up with that kind of theme going on, and I can understand why they would have chosen to do that for the movie, because they're not heathens, they're not historians. Now, interestingly enough, you know Michael Crichton did do a lot of research on things for the movie in order to kind of m- bring in some historical elements to it, his use of Norse as a language in there and uh, watching Ibitfadlan try to learn the Norse language and then transitioning because they're actually speaking Norse uh, while they're Speaking around him before he learns the language and then he begins to learn the language and All of it is a really cool scene in this one instance He begins to learn it and in so doing starts to understand what they're saying and they shift from Norse into English So that we can all understand them too. So we experience that kind of jump with Ibn Fadlod's character really cool directorial choice I liked it Uh, very well executed. So as you can see he he did some research in this. He really kind of developed this into this cool narrative and then they recreated this in the movie Uh, now of course the language thing is specifically for the movie that's not from the book itself now he did go through the learning of the process and everything but it's not michael Crichton that went and did the research for this this was he did research on his end of things and then those that made the movie did some additional research and added some really cool historical elements so the movie itself is really kind of a cool experience it's fun Um, It's not something you look at for any kind of historical accuracy, uh, but there are neat things in it, like you see uh, the Angel of Death character, which would have been a hedge witch, who comes and does this kind of Githia role for the funerary rites, but also casts the bones to send the guys on their their big adventure where they go on and uh, do the Beowulf-style things. Now, Michael Crichton has been said to... Like, why he wrote this was as an homage to Beowulf. Um, someone, and basically it was a challenge kind of thing from what I remember correctly, uh, where they challenged him to do something based on a classic and uh, make it relevant and pertinent and all this stuff. And he said, okay, that's fine. I'm going to retell Beowulf and it's going to be amazing. And he did. He retold Beowulf and it was really fun. It was a lot of, lot of entertainment to it and a really good book. And I really enjoyed reading it. The movie, similarly, is a, kind of a guilty pleasure kind of thing. It's not historically accurate by any means, but it's a lot of fun. And so I like to look at these kind of things and be like, you know what, heathen content creators can do this. We can do these things. You know, that's actually part of the inspiration behind me writing my book, The Saga of Bjorn Thorolfsson. Uh, Shameless plug, you can find the purchase information for that down below if you're interested in looking into that. But I wanted to tell my own stories and impart a bit of my own heathenry into that and see it perpetuate. You know, I wanted to be a heathen creator, creating heathen things for other heathens. Now, ultimately, my story was meant for my tribe originally, and then it kind of caught on. So I put the book out there for people. But we can do these kind of things, pick the placard back up, we can do this kind of stuff. We can create our own little poems, our own little things that are catchy and they will catch on and they will spread like wildfire if they're good. There are some tricks to making things that will catch on and things like that. Um, you know, The language chosen is important, the flow of things is important. Uh, the length is important if it's a big long epic kind of thing it's probably not going to catch on meme worthy status like this has Uh, you're not gonna see it on t-shirts and stuff like that but I have seen people write real short poems that have ended up being stolen and stuck on you know mugs and t-shirts and stuff like that Now, of course there's a lot of copyright infringement going on there and I don't like to see that but I do like to see people creating heathen-related stuff and supporting one another in this heathen creation. You know, I did my big uh, episode 100 on heathen artisans and the creation of heathen-related things, and I want to see more of that from you guys in the coming year. I want to I want to hear what you've got going on. I want to share some of your stuff. Now, herein, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, the, the heathen elements behind this poem. Uh, you know, I talked about the fact that if you substitute mound for this, she is looking at her family. She's looking at her mother and her father, her siblings, her line of her people back in the beginning. That's very much a heathen virtue. We are talking about mound culture here, where you pass from the physical material plane through the mound, the permeable membrane, into the afterlife. You are joining the spirits of your ancestors and sitting at feast with them. Now, removing the concept of Valhalla or any of the godly halls, Uh, and looking at it from the mound culture type of uh, approach which is historically accurate uh, you see a sentiment like this being very appropriate you see someone essentially calling out to the family line and creating that connection it serves the role of psychopomp uh, which the psychopomp is an entity whose role it is to guide the spirits of the living to the afterlife And so that's a really cool thing to see personified in what is essentially just kind of a a cool poem from a movie. Uh, You see someone who is establishing a draw, establishing a line with the ancestral line, that connection. They're dialing it in and then they are bidding this person safe travel to join the ancestors and they're doing so from the point of view of the individual who is passing over now keep in mind that this was done up in accordance with a sacrifice so the person about whom the poem is written is still alive and about to die and therefore pass over but this is the kind of thing that does go along with the idea of that psychopomp mentality that kind of trying to help guide the soul of the living over into the afterlife, into the mound to rejoin with their ancestors and sit at feast. And that I think is a beautiful thing. So that's just a cool little thing that was in a movie and yet still has a very heathen sentiment to it. It's a very real thing and it's essentially a throw. It's an entirely modern creation. It is not historically based in anything. Um, It's not you know, jacked from some ancient script somewhere. It's not a paraphrase of something else. It's a modern creation written by some person in the modern day for a Viking movie and how they would view a Viking funeral or Viking sacrifice of this nature going on based on the limited understanding that they have uh, from their research, which is essentially what we're all doing. We're trying to create our own traditions, our own practices, and we're doing so based on what research we have and what we can do. You know, we're learning where we can, we're taking what we can inspiration-wise, and then we're creating something of our own in the modern day. This is this, the, the, the key root of grassroots heathenry. This is, you know, building tribal identity. You know, if someone were to go through and write something like that as a funerary rite, And then that be recorded within their tribe as this is how we do it. This is Thu for our tribe. This is how we help the souls of our people pass on to their ancestors. I find that to be a beautiful thing. Not just a beautiful thing, but a commendable thing. I see it as something that more people should do. So we can write and we can make art and we can do all these things. But we need to integrate those things within ritual. We need to, like Sigdrífus prayer. You know, you get the uh, the prayer from I, th- I believe it's uh where it's that hail to day, etc., etc. Um, I don't have that one memorized, but um, where we're greeting the day. You know, it's a it's a morning ritual. I've seen a lot of people take on that particular stanza, or set of stanzas, as a morning ritual, and they will stand up and they'll recite it to the sun as the day joins, and they they want to have a good day, and they'll they'll do that as a morning ritual. Now. There's nothing wrong with that. I like it as a tradition. I would like even more so for the people instead of just jacking this stanza from Sukhrifmol, but to write their own, create their own thing and keep in mind what use it as a template. you know understand that you know we're hailing the day, we're hailing the spirits and the gods and we're establishing a tie and we're hoping for a good day kind of thing I do a very similar thing with my rituals every morning for my uh, my ancestors uh, because I put out a daily offering for my ancestors and I have a little rote thing that I like to do for them very specific script I have a um, script for my husband here that I like to say on a daily basis that I amend based on what's going on in the day, but there's some key elements that I always like to be in there because the ritualization of it is important. But it's all entirely of my own creation. It's not something that I've borrowed from anyone, but I have looked at other rituals. I have looked at sagas. I have looked at uh, heathen worldview type things and used that to create these things. I've used that to give life and voice to my ideals, my sentiments, and my intentions, and give them form, ritualize them into something that can be repeated and has meaning. So every morning when I get up, And I blearily step in front of my altar and I give my offerings. I do my offerings first thing in the morning. Um, I put a cup of coffee out to my ancestors and a cup of coffee out to my husvetir, my hearth gods. And I do this, Before I take my own, I don't break my fast until I break theirs. It's a sign of deference. It's a sign of reverence, and it's an inclusive kind of thing. It's a a gift that is not just a sacrifice. It's because my favorite thing is that first cup of coffee when things are fresh brewed. I will usually grab it before the carafe is even full up. I'll I'll wait for it to get just enough to fill my cup, and then I'll pour that off because it's good, it's strong, and it's bold. And that's that's one of my favorite things. So I take that draft that would be mine and I give it to them because it's my way of saying I, I, I respect you enough to give you that which I value most out of this pot, which is the first draft. And so I do this every day and I do my little rote thing and it's really, really empowering for me because i don't have to sit here and think up new words every day i can go through the rote of it and something i can do basically in my sleep because it is ritualized it is traditionalized so because it's automatic i don't necessarily have to think it all out and some days be better than others kind of things no I, i know at least the bases are covered i'm doing the thing i'm doing the thing with intention and so the result continues. Now, everybody's is a little bit different. Um, usually, when I do bigger things, I will do new scripts, um, and I don't usually script my stuff out beforehand. I usually do kind of an off the cuff kind of thing, but I do have key points that I try to include in each of my rituals in order to make sure that everything is where it should be and the effects are what we would like them to be i like to make sure that connection is made the proper message is sent that the sacrifice is established as meaning something and why so i go through this every day where i'll go through on the big rituals and do this kind of thing so this is a way that we can integrate our art Into our ritual at least as far as written word kind of elements go We can create our own things like these kind of prayers and we can use them ourselves And that's fine. You don't have to use somebody else's script as a matter of fact I encourage you to write your own stuff to build your own thing You didn't think we were gonna go down this kind of an alley talking about the Viking battle prayer today, did you? No Uh, But this is this is where I see things I take something like the Viking battle prayer and I go Okay that's a good example of things that we can do ourselves to build and to create and to build tribal identity, hearth identity, and establish ourselves as modern heathens. So that's that's where I go with this. My brain works in, in weird ways sometimes, but hopefully this will spur some kind of insight for you guys, uh, some inspiration maybe, to go out and create your own things, to create your own prayers and stuff. Um, I have one that I did back in the day that I used to use all the time, which was very basic, but to kind of give an example of something that could become rote and uh, be able to be a, a good ritual on a daily basis. This is one I used to do before I amended to the current scripts, which I'm not going to share the current scripts because those are mine and those are for my, my ancestors and for my husband here. Uh, they're not for public consumption. But, uh, blessed am I on Midgard in the eyes of the Aesir kept, that I may walk upon Ymir's flesh wrought by godly might, guided by my ancestors, and aided by the Vaitir of the land. Lucky am I to have the kith and can I do. As such I say hail, hail to the gods and goddesses on high, hail to my ancestors, hail to the vetir, and hail to my folk. Hail. That's a simple prayer, simple thing, that hits all of the notes, that hits the gods and goddesses, hits the ancestors, hits the Vaitir, and hits the folk, that hits the religious, the spiritual and the cultural elements of heathenry all within one little thing. It's a cool deal, you're welcome to use it if you want to, I don't care. Uh, it's not copyrighted or trademarked or anything like that. Um, but it's just kind of a cool little, little thing that I did, and that I did for ages as that one thing. When I was very early in my heathenry and was doing kind of a catch-all ritual in the morning, um, I have since broken things down into individual rituals because I find individual rituals to be far more effective and far more meaningful as building a relationship with those particular entities. The problem with a ritual like the one I just recited is that it is broad-based, kind of scattershot, and catches everything. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Sumble catches all of that and rolls it into one, um, at least within the three-round system that my tribe likes to use. I realize the historical classical Sumble is a little bit different. Um, but within the, the context of the three round gods and goddesses, ancestors dearly departed, and uh, the toast oats, and boasts, toasts, oaths, and boasts, uh, <laughs> that hits the religious, the spiritual, and the cultural side all kind of rolled into one. So even though that's not necessarily inappropriate based on that kind of correlation, uh, I find those kind of morning offerings to be more effective if they're targeted. Uh, it does more to build the relationship if I step outside of that scattershot and really kind of focus and hone in on the purpose of that ritual and to whom it is, etc., etc., etc. And so, But all these things are things that I have created myself, and they are deeply meaningful to me, and I'd like to see the same thing for you guys. Build your own rituals. Build your own sayings. Do these things but make them your own and, and really embrace that. Don't, uh, don't feel like you are obliged to use somebody else's stuff uh, when you're perfectly capable of doing it yourselves. Uh, and and it, it's more meaningful, it's more powerful than that. And uh, using items, ritual items, that you have built yourself are usually more powerful or more connecting than using ritual items that you've purchased and things like that. Um, Not that purchased items aren't effective, uh, because again, like I mentioned back when we were talking about uh, gift giving around Yule, the money that you earn in order to buy those things is your blood, sweat, and tears made manifest into a financial currency. So, I mean, it still carries weight because you've purchased that with your time, but uh, when you can put your energies into it, building it, or at least somehow modifying it yourself, like buying a a really cool wooden bowl. It's one of my favorite things to do. I like to buy really cool wooden bowls, and I use my wood-burning stuff to engrave them with runes and messages and symbols that are important to me and my tribe, Uh, and I'll put you know, stories of my tribe and things like that, into the bowls and whatnot. And then I will sometimes gift those out, uh, especially to my tribe members, and then uh, they get used as ritual bowls and things like that. Those are really cool. I've done inscriptions on the handles of uh, gardening tools, on staves, all kinds of stuff. That's a different way that you can use your skill to integrate into the religious practices and spiritual practices that go along with heathenry. Uh, Again, modern creations, modern intentions, um, with a nod to classical approaches such as uh, the artwork that we see on a lot of classical arch-heathen kind of uh, grave goods and finds. So So, these are really cool ways that we can use our skills, our modern creations, and to create heathenry ourselves is to live. Heathenry. It's to be heathen. It's not to recreate heathenry. It's not to, you know, copy heathenry. It's not to mimic heathenry. It's to be heathen. There's a difference when you're trying to go through and like a play, for example. You've got a play and then you've got a battle. A play that represents this battle is an homage to the battle. It tells the story of the battle, but it is not the battle. You know, you can play a warrior on stage, but it's not the same as being a warrior in the field. You can replicate and go through the motions of heathenry, or you can be heathen. You can embrace it and create it from within. It's a locus of control thing, an internal versus external locus of control. Um, If you are simply regurgitating that which you have learned and copying something else, then it all comes from out here through you to that, versus something that is born within here and then is brought out. That is strong heathenry. Not to say you can't do the other and that it's ineffective. I mean, it's still there, it's still effective. It's just not as effective as if it came from in here and from within your mind thank you guys for watching i really appreciate your support and everything like i said this should be the last one for 2019 i believe i gotta go back and look at my calendar but i think that's where this is going to fall out and so i wish you all a happy new year happy twelfth night however it is you go about it and i hope your 2020 is wonderful and full of luck light and happiness hail to you all may your hearth fires burn bright